As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinions. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. All right. This week's reviewer of the week is Prof Medina. I hope I'm saying that right. But she says, a dream come true. Birth for me has been a natural progression. My first baby I delivered in a hospital with an OBGYN. And even though I wanted to deliver unmedicated, I ended up getting an epidural. That experience was very traumatizing. And I knew I had to do different things. That experience was very traumatizing, and I knew I had to do things differently the next time. For my second baby, I found a midwife who had hospital privileges and also hired a doula. That birth experience was redeeming for me knowing my body was able to deliver unmedicated. For my third baby, I had more confidence in my body and decided to give birth at a birth center with a midwife and my doula. It resulted in a beautiful water birth. Fast forward almost five years later, and I'm pregnant with baby number four. This time, I wanted a home birth. Like I mentioned, baby steps. My midwife recommended I listen to birth podcasts, and I am so glad I found this one. It is perfect to get your mind ready for birth. It had been a while since I gave birth, and it served as a quick refresher course and also gave me more confidence that I could deliver my baby safely at home. And I did it. A dream come true. It was so much easier to have my midwife and doula come to my house this time and has made the transition to postpartum so much better. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with expectant mamas-to-be. Thank you for your excellent review, and I picked this one because this week's podcast is going to be extra special for a lot of reasons, but one of them being that I have a home birth midwife here with me, and I can't wait to introduce you. But I just want to say, I can really relate to this kind of review. Um, And from where you're coming from, I think birth can be progressive. It always really blows my mind when we get first-time moms in the birth course. And I'm like, wow, like you really thought about this and planned. And um, you're going to have this excellent experience because of that. You know, I had to have like a not great experience. And then that kind of progressed into the next and into the next. So I love the progression of birth. I love that it, and you can have like a not great experience and then a really good one that heals a prior experience. And anyways, birth is a beautiful, um, sacred and evolving thing in our lives. And so I am grateful that I'm able to be part of your birth story. I kind of love that your midwife told you to go listen to birth podcasts and that's how you found us. And I love that I have a midwife here with me right now. This week, you guys, I am extra excited because we have a giveaway too. So you will hear from my guest in just a bit, but we have an extra special giveaway. So I want you guys to stay to the end of this episode so that you can hear what the giveaway is and exactly how to enter. So Without further ado, I want to take a moment and introduce you to Angie, who is extra special because she's a home birth midwife, but also because she was my sister's home birth midwife. So I met Angie back in October, September, 
oh my gosh, it was like August, September of last year. So it's been like a year now. Look at that. We've got our, we know each other for a year anniversary. (laughs) So anyways, thank you so much for being here with me. And I wanted to give you a minute to just um, introduce yourself and what you do and just talk a little bit about yourself for a moment. Cool. Thanks so much for having me, Stephanie. Um, I'm Angie. I am a home birth midwife. I am originally from a small town in Northern California called Yuba City, and now I reside in Long Beach, and that's where my practice is out of. Um, Let's see. I'm a solo practice, so don't have other midwives actually working with me, um, except for at births because safety first, but really I do all the things, um, labs, prenatals, postpartum care, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, that's a bit about me. I love it. So I'm curious and I I think other moms will want to know, and it's probably something that we'll talk about later too, or will come up later. But since you're a solo practice, do you have like a backup midwife or what does that look like if for some reason you can't make a birth? Yeah. So, um, I use a network of what I call my sister midwives. So, um, other licensed midwives within the area, we kind of go down the list. So it'll be like month to month. I pick one of them who will be my backup if our schedules work out together. And then um, if I ever am feeling like I'm going to miss a birth or I have to be out of town, my clients would get that backup midwife's phone number to be able to be in contact with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And then tell me, I love this because as of right now, you don't have any of your own children. And so I'm always drawn to know, like, tell me about how you got started in this work or what like lit you up and made you decide I want to help women bring babies earthside. Right. Um, kind of random, but I guess nothing is actually random, but I was a nanny for about eight years. I was doing that through undergrad and then ended up doing it through midwifery school. But all of that to say in undergrad, I was doing public health science with the plan to be like a NICU nurse, pediatrics nurse, labor and delivery, something like that. Did a two-year internship at a hospital, and it was awful. Um, Not Mm -hmm. awful care for the patients necessarily, but um, just seeing how the nurses were treated and that it made me think, like, I'm just going to be miserable. I'll get to help people, but I'm going to hate my job. And so then Mm -hmm. I had, like, a little breakdown in undergrad because that was definitely the plan. I'm like, great, I have no idea what I want to do, but it's (laughs) not that. And so I got on Google because I had heard of midwives in my public health classes, but it was always in underdeveloped countries. And I was like, maybe that's, maybe that's a thing in the United States. Got on Google and it was, and I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. So I started an internship at a birth center and then the rest is history. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't remember, I might be making this up in my head, but like, did you talk about like your family and how they didn't super love this at first? Oh, Am I no, that's, that one up? no, you're not making it that's up. My parents for <laughs> sure told me I'm throwing my life away and midwives aren't a thing and what kind of woo-woo stuff am I into and what about <laughs> medicine and what about the hospital and then as I started going through school and they actually saw like, oh, I am trained and I carry medication if I need it. Like I just favor the natural route and I really do have to have an education and there's a course and a path for this. And now they post about me all the time, how proud they are. And sometimes I still give them a hard time. Oh, I love it. It's it's nice now. It was rough for a while, but I'll still give them a hard time. I'll hop on the posts like, Remember when I was throwing my life away and they just delete it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's so funny. Yeah. Okay. So I did want to kind of like, I actually haven't had a home birth midwife on the podcast before. So I'm actually really, really excited that you're here. But I know that there's a lot of questions surrounding it because I will say even the women, the audience that I have that listens to me, I'll say like the majority, 80 to 90 percent plus end up giving birth in a hospital setting. And so I think there's just a lot of confusion or like misinformation or maybe just like lack of knowledge in general. about what a home birth midwife does and what she's qualified to do. And so I was hoping you could kind of walk us through, like, what does an average home birth intake or process look like beginning to end? When somebody reaches out and contacts you, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, they contact me. We set up a consult time. The consult is a free consult. Most midwives will, home birth midwives will do an initial consult that's free. 
we talk about if they're a first-time mom, if they're a second-time mom, we get some info. If they are a second-time mom, did they have any complications in their pregnancy? Are there any health issues that they have that we should know about? Um, are they diabetic and it's being controlled with insulin? Do they have high blood pressure? Um, do they have epilepsy and need medication for that? There are some things that us as home birth midwives just can't handle. So that intake is kind of a interview. I get to know the potential client, they get to know me, and I'm also doing kind of a screening process to make sure that I would actually be able to support them. So it starts with that phone call. And then if we both feel it's a good fit, I, fingers crossed, get a call back from them saying that they want me to um, be their midwife. And then I do a full health history. So I do an initial screening and then I'm like, hey, just in case I miss something before we get started with care, I need you to answer all of these questions. So I send them a link to a client portal and do a second screening to make sure it's good. If, if that yeah. goes good, then we get into care. And then I take over anything that an OB would have been doing. So all of their lab work I can do. Um, I'm doing all their prenatal care. It stays on the same track as an OB. So once a month appointments until 28 weeks, from 28 weeks to 36 weeks. Appointments are every two weeks. And then from 36 weeks until baby, appointments are weekly. Um, so all of that happens. Appointments are about 45 minutes to an hour and a half. So a whole bunch more FaceTime with my clients. And that's just so that um, we can get to know each other. And even the language, um, I know like in the hospital, they say patients, but I think they're my clients mm. and we end up with a working relationship. So we do all the prenatal care and then it gets to their birth. I do their birth in their home. Um, I bring another midwife there and that's called my assist midwife. Um, it doesn't mean she's actually beneath me or less skilled. She's another licensed midwife, just she's not the main provider at that birth. Um, so she comes with me and she helps me in case there's an emergency. Um, even kind of like setting up all my equipment. So oxygen tank, all my pharmaceuticals to stop any bleeds in case there's postpartum hemorrhage, retained placenta, something like that. Um, setting up the warming station, resuscitation equipment. Once the birth happens, she's there to help me break down the birth tub if we used one. All of that. We stay four hours postpartum. Um Let's see what else. And then we do postpartum care as well. Postpartum care is four visits in the first six weeks, which also might be something that um, people having OB care might have some like a different path or what they actually see. I'm really sure. focused on postpartum just because I think we're so excited to help moms with growing the baby and birthing the baby. And then we're like, yes. you got it. You're super mom. Good luck. Sink or swim. <laughs> no worries. Right. Um, so yeah. we're doing like mental health things in the postpartum, helping with the breastfeeding relationship if breastfeeding's the goal. Um, just being like a soundboard as well. I'm I'm obviously not a licensed therapist. I don't have all the things under my belt, but um, I'm still there to listen and really just help support my clients. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was interesting having you there with my sister there were a couple of times that I was really questioning like my own knowledge and stuff and it made me realize like this is why um, even with midwives like if you decide to care for somebody that you already know or you have like a familial relationship with it's not that you can't but having that second set of eyes or you know somebody who's not like emotionally connected makes a huge difference because I was standing there like I, I had like my knowledge from like being a doula and like what I feel like I should be doing and then I'm like but I know my sister and I it couldn't help but like bring those two together and Anyway, so I just, yeah. I love that. I love that you can like, but, but how important it is too. And it's interesting because I have done some um, birth story podcasts recently with women who have given birth and wanted to share their story on the podcast. And um, the last two had, they had home birth or maybe one was a birth center and the other was, they, I, either way, they both had midwives. And they talked about the difference in care and like how it was like, yeah, my appointments were 45 minutes to like two hours, you know, yeah. and, and they got to know me and it mattered. And there was more than one person there and they stayed with me the whole time. Or you're talking about staying four hours postpartum or four visits in six weeks. Like if we, if every woman had that care, I think we could change the world, you know, For particularly sure. how things go down in the United States. So 
Um, beautiful. I, I mean, obviously I have a deep, deep love for home birth midwifery. And so I'm grateful you do what you do. Um, for those of you, I hope at some point you guys will be able to see the video of this. Um, but Angie, like I, like the minute I met you there, she has a very like easy easiness about her. She's calm. Her presence is light and airy and beautiful. And, um, anyways, but at the same time, like you have good energy and anyway, so like, I'm like, I have no doubts, like, cause I had mentioned, oh, you don't have kids. How did you get into this? I'm like, well, either way, like you're doing what you're meant to be doing, <laughs> you know, like Thank this is you. where you're meant to be and you're serving women. So I love it. Um, you did mention though, you're like, we can't take everything being midwives, home birth midwives, as far mm -hmm. as risks. And I know that that's a question that gets asked a lot. Like what's going to risk me out of a home birth? Or if I hire somebody at 28 weeks, but I have issues later on. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Like what, yeah. what is a good, like low risk mom that should be with you? And what, what would risk somebody out of being able to be with a home birth midwife? Right. Um, so even, the, even the word risk. So I, I'll have some clients who contact me and they're like, I'm for sure high risk. Uh, I was high risk with my last pregnancy. And then I ask them why. And it's like, oh, because I had something wrong with my thyroid. Well, yes, there are risks associated with having some thyroid issues, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a birth at home. A thyroid issue is not a reason that you couldn't birth at home. It just needs to be managed by an outside provider. Things that would for sure be like hard, fast, I cannot be your midwife for birth specifically would be being insulin dependent, whether that is pre-pregnancy or it arises in pregnancy. So if you get gestational diabetes and it can't be diet controlled, you need insulin. That would be a risk out. Um, high blood pressure um, is another reason to risk out. You can't be on high blood pressure medication and be in my care. Um, epilepsy is another one, um, especially if you're on medication and have recent episodes. All of these things that risk moms out are really for safety issues. Like we 100% have to be um, working with low risk. And even if there's a medication associated with it, um, for example, if a mom had a seizure, like, what am I going to do at home? I have oxygen yeah. and medications to stop bleeding. Um, I don't have any anti-seizure medication. I don't have, I can't do a C-section, so I couldn't crash get a baby out if I needed to. You can't? Yeah. <laughs> right. No epidurals either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are like the three hard and fast things that I could really think of. Some midwives would say that you are high risk for um, a certain BMI. For me, I just care if my clients are able-bodied, meaning if their weight is keeping them from moving their body, that would be a reason that you wouldn't be able to be in my care. But having a high BMI in my care is not an issue. Um, what it would look like if something began to arise, say we went into care at 18 weeks and at 30 weeks, all of a sudden you're having insulin dependent diabetes, gestational diabetes. I would, um, work with you to find an OB that you're comfortable with. Um, and then I would transfer records to them. I would be offering co-care which means you still have visits with me. So you're getting that full 45 minutes, you're getting that really deep care, but someone's also keeping you safe. They're managing the part that needs to be managed. Um, right. I'm not in the business of managing birth. I really want everything to just flow and take its natural course. Um, so yeah, it would look like finding an OB that you're comfortable with, me sending your records back to them, and making sure that I give report if they have any questions, be answering the OB's questions, making sure that it's like a continuity of care. It sometimes gets a little bit sticky because not all doctors are respectful of home birth midwives. So sometimes they don't want any input. Right. Um, but I do always try to give it and make sure that my client is feeling comfortable and supported because obviously if you chose a home birth midwife, your plan was not to transfer back to the doctor. Yeah. Course. Yeah. And kind of on that note, I'd, I'd be curious about, and this is, I know a question I get a lot, like, okay, so we're planning for unmedicated mm -hmm. um, and sometimes things do arise even during labor and, you know, maybe there's a transfer or something involved with that. Mm -hmm. um, can you kind of talk about what you do at home with mom, like safety precautions that are in place? 
you mentioned some medicines and things that you carry with you. Like, what yeah. do you do to make that safe? And what does that look like if a transfer does need to happen? Because I think a lot of the time it's like, I mean, at least even for myself, when I was talking about I'm having a baby at home, like, oh my gosh, don't you know you can die? Like you right. and the baby are like, right. this is like the worst thing ever that could happen. Uh, and every time I have been with a mom, whether there's a transfer or not, and I very few end up transferring, at least in my experience, but I'm like, it happens so much earlier than there would actually be some like big emergency. Like there are signs that happen earlier. Anyway, right. so I just thought if you could take a moment and kind of talk about what that looks like. Yes. Um, one thing too we can literally die anywhere giving birth we just yes we don't we don't (laughs) bring up the hospital ones but like the maternal death rate in the united states is out of this world and the bulk of people are birthing in the hospital so unfortunately moms are in the united states dying left and right and seconds by seconds like there are constant deaths a whole bunch of things need to change, but that's a different story. Um, so sure. <laughs> how do I keep mom safe at home? Um, so there are a few things that get done. I get way more than a few, but first I unpack all my safety equipment. So I bring with me an oxygen tank, something called an Ambu bag. So that allows me to give rescue breasts to baby if they need it. I bring all my natural things as well. So herbs and supplements to stop bleeding, to calm mom down, to help a placenta release, um, to get contractions going. Sometimes my natural routes don't work. So I also bring um, three pharmaceutical medications as well. I bring IV equipment. um, So I can administer Pitocin, not to get contractions going, but to help stop a bleed after baby's born. Um, I bring medication, so lidocaine, if I need to do stitches. So that's a big question that I get. What about tears? I can numb you for yes. that, and that's equipment that I bring as well. Um, how I'm monitoring moms and babies and making sure that they stay safe. So uh, standard practice is every four hours for mom's vitals. That would be blood pressure, temperature, pulse, um, respirations. There are some cases where I up it. I might do every two hours or every one hour, um, and that's just case by case if maybe I mean, midwifery care is individualized, but never going longer than four hours of getting mom's vitals. Baby's vitals, we never go longer than one hour. And one hour is a long time. That's there if I get there really early, but my client needs me to stay for her peace of mind. And I'm like, hey, I'm not really supposed to be here. Things aren't that active. I'll listen to baby every hour. And that's more of a peace of mind from mom. Typically, when I would get there, if things are active, we're going from every 30 minutes to every 15 minutes. And then the most frequent is every five to other every other contraction. And that's during the pushing phase. Um, so getting baby's heart tones allows me to know what's going on with them. In the hospital, um, moms are used to the two circles that go on their belly with the straps. That's called continuous monitoring. Um, one monitors contractions and one monitors baby's heart tones. I don't need to monitor contractions because moms aren't having pain medication. I know when they're having a contraction. In the hospital, they're doing it because if a mom has an epidural and they don't realize that they're having a contraction, the providers need to know that one's happening so they can be able to make sure baby's safe. For me, I use just my handheld Doppler. I get in, I listen. I'll be listening at different times, before contractions, during contractions, after contractions. So I'll be looking for things called D-cells, which are decelerations in baby's heart rate. During that time, I'm assessing, is this a normal time to have a deceleration or is this abnormal? If it's abnormal, that gets my brain churning like, hey, I need to make an adjustment. Let's see if X, Y, or Z can work. If these work, great, we'll stay home. If I get another repeat one and my things didn't work, we need to transfer in. That's how we transfer before we take moms in as what some people would call the train wreck transfers. It's where Mm. all the signs were ignored. Mom maybe begged to stay home. The midwife felt bad, kept them home for too long. And now we're like, okay, 911, we need to get them to the hospital this is a huge emergency practicing on the safe side looking for those things that are outside of normal that allows us to transfer moms in where they're still able to get respectful care like hey you came in at this time 
everyone's still safe. We just need extra monitoring. So a transfer in doesn't automatically mean, oh my gosh, I need a crash C-section. It means, hey, I saw something abnormal that I know I can no longer keep you safe at home for. And so we should transfer into the hospital. Yeah. Um, and then what it looks like is I call the hospital. Um, we already have a transfer plan in place. So what hospital are we going to go to if there's an emergency? I have the cell phone, the cell phone. I have the labor and delivery phone number. <laughs> I have the labor and delivery fax number and I have the address. So I call them, I tell, um, I ask for the charge nurse and I tell them this is the information about my client. This is why we're coming in. This is what's going on. I ask who I should address the fax to and I fax them over labor records, labs, all the prenatal care, any images, so any ultrasounds to make sure that it's a complete transfer, um, that they have all the info. They're not guessing anything about my client. Outside of COVID, I would 100% go in with my client as well. Now um, I'm based out of California and there are a lot of different rules just changing left and right. Sometimes there's only one support person allowed in. Most clients are going to choose their partner. Um, and so then I become phone phone support. But pre-COVID, okay. I would just go in with them as well so that none of the support is lost and they're still feeling extremely safe even though a transfer to the hospital happens. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, I will say though, your phone support is incredible though. Even my, I like that was part of my sister's birth story, which she was able to share here on the podcast and just some of the decisions that needed to happen. Like, thank goodness the phone support existed, you know? So that was really awesome. And in our case, I got lucky. Like I took your place, but that's where I was. I remember texting you like, you should have come. Like, what am (laughs) I doing here? I felt so like, I can't, like I do this all day, every day. I talk about it. I preach about it. I love what I do. And I'm like sitting here, like I want someone else to take care of her in this space. (laughs) Right. But anyways, that's <laughs> and, and you were texting such pot like you've got this, you know, such positive things. And, and it ended up being excellent. And of course, I'm grateful I could be there. But um, I love that the phone support follows in. I do find that it's pretty rare that a midwife doesn't follow in. But I have seen it where they don't when there's a transfer. And I do think that is a little sad for moms and dads because it's everything, all the comfort that they just had. And now they're moving into like what seems like normally scary, even if it's not scary, right? When you get there, just that it's different. This wasn't part of my plan. It's not, I didn't mentally prepare for this. And so being able to follow them into that space, I think is excellent. Even if it's by phone support, I think that's really wonderful. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. I did have questions because we kind of chatted about this just while I was in California with my sister, um, but about COVID and what you've seen has been the difference for your clients um, once kind of 2020 took over. And I know we talked about prodromal labor and some other things. So I would just be really curious to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously not doing some study on this, but it's just the things sure. that I've been that I've been um, seeing. And I've definitely been seeing increased amounts of prodromal labor. So uh, some people will call them false starts. Um, that may be mm-hmm. like how they know what prodromal labor is. But um, the pattern would pick up really, really consistently. It would present as active and then it would just shut down. It'd be all done. And it would go for weeks, days, um, Moms would get so excited that they're about to have their baby and meet their new little one and then shut down. So prodromal labor is one of them that I'm seeing. And then also um, gestating for way longer. So babies just don't want to come out. And both of them, 
Hmm. I think are related to increased cortisol levels. So even if we're not like Hmm. deathly afraid of COVID, I think like this is not normal. We're not experiencing normal day-to-day life. Um, I don't really know what it's like in other states, but here we have, like in my area specifically, we have mask mandates. They flip back and forth. Things are open. Things are closed. Um, You can meet with mom group. You can't meet with mom group. So I just think it's a huge stress on moms that the support's not there. There's a lot of like just closed off times. Like it's an isolating time. And so then whatever mom is feeling, baby's feeling. So I feel like baby's like, sure. what the heck? I'm safe and cozy in here. And my mom <laughs> mom touches my feet sometimes. And I get to dance around and kick. <laughs> like, why am I going to come out? And I, I yeah. feel like that's what it is. Um, I'm sure there's way yeah. more science behind all of these things. But to me, it's just like, it's not exactly a safe space. And as much as we can present as happy and secure in this COVID situation, COVID times, like it sucks. <laughs> and so, yeah. and, and then being pregnant and, and being isolated, I'm sure sucks worse. Um, right. So I think that's why yeah, I was, those things are happening. I was going to ask, like knowing that this is going on then, do you have like advice or what's your best advice for moms? Like I've seen it too, a lot of, and again, like no studies or whatever, but I have a birth course and I have many students in there and this is like a common thing right now. Like I've been having contractions for three or four days. Like, what do I do? And you know, a lot of the time it's like, oh, well, positional things, right? Like that's the first thing that would typically come to mind. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, this isn't all positional. There's some other things going on. And I think a lot of it has to do with like mental and social and, so anyways, I just wondered if maybe you had some good advice. For, so for me, I think whatever. <laughs> no, no, right. Um, I think that moms <laughs> are going to have to do like what they're comfortable with. But I seriously think like socializing is part of our mental health space. Like we need other human interaction. Yeah. I understand some people may be like deathly afraid of COVID. And even then just hop on a Zoom group. Like, do Mm. something to interact with other people in the same, like, going through the same stage, um, chapter of life as you, instead of sitting in the house, closing up the blinds. Like, we need sunshine. We need to see people's smiles, a wave, um, treating ourselves to, like, simple things if it's within our means to just go out and grab the coffee. You don't have to sit in the coffee shop if you don't want to. Go grab the coffee and sit at the park. Or if the weather is not good by you, go grab the coffee and bring it home and cozy up. Like, do something nice for yourself. I think that we need yeah. to make efforts to be gentle on ourselves and also make the effort to interact with other people. Um yeah, isolation is yeah. hard on our mental health and growing a human is hard on our mental health. So if we just pile on all the factors, it's going to be like a downward spiral. Yeah, um, I think that all makes a lot of sense. And I think even looking back with my sister, I I, pr- I wish I would have even done some more reaching out even prior to me being there, you know, not realizing at a distance just how isolating it is. And specifically, yeah. like you said, the different different areas, different states, you don't realize, you know, here in Utah, things didn't really shut down. It was like, wear a mask, you know, and right, that was pretty right. much it. But talking to family in California was very different. So I think, yeah, maybe just us being aware, like as a community, as a people within families, friendships, you know, make sure that we're reaching out and giving them what they need in the way of smiling and making sure that they're getting out of the house and things. And it does, COVID makes it hard because there is a lot of fear behind that. But I I think you're dead on with like the other side of it is like, what are you doing to your emotional and mental state by just living in the fear and isolating yourself? So yeah, I appreciate you talking about that. I started like a monthly group for my clients, but I started welcoming the Mm. greater community. So pregnant or new moms come like we still have really good weather here. So beach walks, hanging out at the park, um, going to the farmer's market, things like that, just so they can see more people. I love that. Yeah. Get to make Is there somewhere that people can find this? Are you doing this actively right now? 
Yes. Um, you could go to my website, rowanmidwifery.com, or my Instagram, at midwife underscore Ange, and I'll post on both of those. So on my website, it's under like awesome. the calendar section, and they can see what events are coming up. And then on my Instagram, it'll just be a feed post, and it has like a bold flyer. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And I'll make sure everyone that's listening, I'll make sure to in- include that in the show notes in the end. And we're going to ask her at the end for all that again, so that you'll <laughs> get a chance to hear that one more time. Um, before I have you go, though, this is something we had talked about it before getting on here. And I think we wanted to touch on it here. Um, I am super big on this. It sounds like you might even be bigger on it than I am, like informed consent, right? This is... <laughs> huge Um, my soapbox but it's it's everything right like it's I don't know so maybe let's just talk about like what is informed consent because I think there are definitely different definitions and the other ones are wrong (laughs) right um yeah yeah. Uh, informed consent is my huge thing it's like my little tagline informed consent is what I'm about that's a hundred percent what you're going to get in my care to the point that sometimes my clients are going to be annoyed with me. Like, just tell me I'm not going to, um, informed (laughs) consent to me has two aspects. One is about our own personal bubble. Like, do I give you permission to touch me or be in my space? And so can I touch you? Can I do this cervical Mm. exam? May I get your pulse? Can I do your blood pressure? Um, other ones are things that are procedures and giving the full pros and cons without our bias as a provider um, put into it, especially things like hot topics, vaccines, circumcision. Um, if I have a client ask about those things, I need to tell them the pros and the cons and answer any questions they have, but they should not know what my stance is as a provider. They should feel supported in their choice. So, I don't know, something like... Mm, GBS, groupie strep. Cool. Should I get the antibiotics or not? Right. I can tell you the statistic at which a baby would get sick if you didn't get the antibiotics. I can tell you the statistic that baby would get sick if you did get the antibiotics. I will tell you how GBS works, that it's transient, that it comes and goes. I will tell you that... Um, I'll tell you the cons of the antibiotics. I will tell you alternatives outside of the antibiotics. Another something called Hibiclens. If you don't want the antibiotics, I'll tell you what watch and wait looks like. So I'm going to give you all the at, all of it, full on, and then let you ask me questions, do more research, and then decide. Whereas, I think we often see moms getting coerced into things. It'll be like. GBS kills babies, and that'll be like the flat statement, not what percentage, right. what percentage does it happen? Um, what percentage does it happen is really the big one, because if you say it kills babies, it does yeah. kill babies. Babies can die from a GBS infection, but it is pretty rare. Um And if your provider is telling you, you have to get antibiotics or your baby will die, that's, that's not the truth. Now, you may hear all the statistics and then want the antibiotics, and then that's good. But to flat out say you're not going to get the antibiotics right. so your baby's going to die is yeah. coercing someone to then get the antibiotics, to take the path that they want. And they may be right. your best OB friend who's telling you, oh, my gosh, hun, like, why would you – or we, I know you really want to protect your baby, so you should get the antibiotics because babies die from GBS, and I know you care about your baby. And so, like, all oh, the words, I, yeah, I hate that kind of talk. Yes, all the words sound well, like well intended, and like, oh my gosh, my OB cares about me so much. Whereas, I mean, I just want you to make the choice based out of all the facts. I, I don't mind either right. way if you get the antibiotics or not. Yes. <laughs> I just want you to know. Yeah. I want you to know all of it. The same with a vitamin K shot, vitamin K alternatives. If you ask me about vaccines, I will link you to studies about them. I'll give you books to read. I'm not going to tell you if you should vaccinate your kid or not. 
I'm not going to make you feel guilty. If you, if you ask me, what would I do for my future kids? I already have that in my mind, but I'm not going to tell you because I don't want my clients to feel like, oh, well, I trust her so much. So I want to do what she would do for her kids. I want, I want whatever the outcome is for the parents to look at all the benefits and all the risks and feel totally good about the choice they made. And for me to just be there to, to guide them and give them the information. Yeah. Which is how care should go no matter who you're getting it from. So yes. Yeah. Totally agree with everything you said. Like other ones are like touching. If I'm going to touch my client's belly, some of my clients are like, yeah, touch my belly anytime. Every single appointment I'm going to ask you, can I touch your belly? I'm not going to assume yeah. I can be in your sit in your space and that you feel safe. Maybe you had a past trauma yeah. and then over the past weekend something happened and it resurfaced for you. And then I assumed, oh, my clients still feel safe with me. Everything's good to go. And I touch their belly and then I've made them relive their trauma again. I don't intend to do that to anyone. So I'm going to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I mean, it's certainly a pet peeve of mine, I will say it happens much more in a hospital setting than it does with a midwife setting. Although I have seen it with midwives as well, where it's like, okay, they come in and they get their hands all ready and start putting on gloves. Like, okay, I'm just going to check you. And it's like, wait, what? Yes. (laughs) What does that mean? No, you're not just going to. (laughs) I'm going, I, I will tell you what my, why do I even want to do a cervical exam at this time? And I'll tell you what the pros and cons would be if I'm asking you at that time why I want to do one and then the client gets to say, eh, I heard what you said, but it's not my, that's not my concern right now. No, thank you for that exam. Okay. Then no, thank you. Hmm. Like I don't, I don't need to touch your cervix. I don't need this immediate snapshot to know what's happening in this one second with my client's cervix. Um, birth position either it's very easy for me to help catch a baby if a mom is laying on her back but maybe mom doesn't want to be laying on her back well then so be it hands and knees in the birth tub with your butt away from me it's okay I'm gonna just use a (laughs) mirror and a flashlight like of course I would like it to always be easy for me but that's not the reality and the like bigger reality is that I would like my clients to be comfortable and feel safe and supported so like birth positions is another one for um consent informed consent um who supports you in your birth oh you're not allowed to do this like there are a lot of scary words that providers throw out yeah and then they throw them out gent not always but they'll throw them out gently and then parents don't even realize that they are being pushed in a certain direction right because the way that it's worded Mm-hmm. And we kind of, we had kind of chatted about that prior, like how does an uninformed consent, right? How does that become coercion? Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you, if someone doesn't know, or if you're put on the spot to make a decision, oh, I don't even, I'm trying to think of one, a, a lab. So if you need to do the gestational diabetes um, screen, so if the provider t- doesn't tell you anything about it before, and at 28 weeks, which is when the screen typically happens, they come in and say, we need to do these labs, and we need to do them because gestational diabetes is associated with um, stillbirth and miscarriage, and your baby's going to be too big to come out of your body. And so, well, don't you want the lab? Because we wouldn't want any of that to happen. So it's just like forced it's presented mm-hmm. as caring, but it's forced in a direction that benefits the provider. And I guess not even benefits. Yeah. It's just what the provider wants. They right. don't necessarily need it in that way, but they want it and they don't want to give you the option to make the informed choice. And that's how it becomes coercion. Like when it's immediately put to you and you can't weigh the benefits, the risks, um, the alternatives, how you're feeling, what happens if I do nothing? people need time to make a decision. Right. And if, if it's not given, then you are being coerced. Um, especially when yeah. it's coming to like your new little unborn baby. You've gotten right. so far. Yeah. You love them so much. You're so happy that they're growing and thriving and all of these things. And of course, you don't want to put them in jeopardy. So 
if it's presented to you that way, well then sure, give me this and do that and check this and I'll lay on my back and I'll do that. It's, it's when no time is given. It is coercion. Like people need time to make decisions, even in emergencies, even if it looks like 20 seconds to gather a quick thought or something, a step away, the provider to turn their back, even if it's not leaving the room, like people need pause to make choices. Right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about that. Um, I'm wondering then, what would you recommend? And I mean, women who come to see you are not going to have this issue, but for women like maybe transfers or or what that could look like on the other end, what's your recommendation for women who are feeling like they're being pressured or they're not receiving informed consent or like how much pushback do you give? And I, I don't know if we really want to get, I feel like that could be a whole nother conversation because right. Like yeah. there is this space of like you push and push and push and then we push too far. And now we get, we just created more problems for ourselves. But, so maybe don't go there. So maybe right. we'll just go with the, like, how do we, how do we get informed consent or what do we do if we're feeling pressure or pushback? Um, I think first we, well, if you've got all the information and you just need a second to think about it, flat out telling the provider, like, hey, I need a moment to think about this. I need a moment to talk to my partner. I need a moment to talk to my support team. Um, Can you come back in X amount of minutes? Unfortunately, sometimes they'll step out of the room and then they're upset. So they're like, yeah, I'll come back at that time. And they make you wait in the room for 30 minutes or something like that. But you get to make your choice. So asking, Mm. asking for that time to make the choice, asking them also, okay, well, what's the alternative? I I hear what you're presenting me with, but can you tell me what my other options are? What happens if I don't do anything? I'm obviously using the brain. um, Brain acronym. Yes. But it, it really is. Can you tell me the benefits, the risks, the alternatives? I don't really feel good about this. So what happens if we don't do anything? Um, I also really like statistics and I like them. um, I like them in a way where you can think about both sides of the numbers. So um, you shouldn't have a VBAC because 3% of VBACs end in uterine rupture. But 97% of them don't. So just being able to get the statistic and if, if it sounds funky, asking them to tell you, tell you it in a different way as well. Um, I think, I do think though, like one hard part is that we put all so much trust in our doctors. Like even me, there'll be times where I'm like, they just have to know, like I'm here because they have to know that's their job. And, um, yeah, it's like any birthing person themselves just trusting their intuition that they know even if they don't know it all and they need the information given to them you know something to keep your baby safe and to keep yourself safe so asking for the pause is like my biggest piece of advice I love it okay thank you for that all right I unless you have anything else kind of like weighing on your mind I don't want to keep you too much longer um but I did, I definitely want everyone to know exactly where they can find you. So you have a website, you've got an Instagram. Um, and yes. then I want to talk about Rowan and Co. Just cool. for a moment after that. <laughs> um, okay, so I do have a website. It is rowanmidwifery.com um, or midwifery. What's the area that you service? Long midwifery, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's what it that's what it looks like. So Rowan R O W A N midwifery dot com. I service Long Beach. I service North Orange County and South LA. Um so that's the area. So if you're Um, in those areas, yes, look her up. I hope that like your phone starts blowing up by the way. (laughs) That you like can't even handle it. (laughs) Call me, send me email submissions, um, follow me on Instagram to find out any fun tips and uh coming to the local meetups or just send me dms um i'm on instagram at midwife underscore ang ang um 
pre-midwifery, I wasn't super social, but now I'm working on it and I talk to everyone and <laughs> I'll respond, I promise, even if it's late, I'm not ignoring <laughs> you. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. And then you have a business of your own separate from midwifery, although I feel like it kind of ties in to that kind of life, right? Yes. So will you talk about that business real quick and where they can find you for that? Yes. So I also have a baby store. It's all online. It is in one local um, children's boutique in Long Beach as well. It's called Rowan Co. Baby. It's called Rowan and Company. You can find me, though, at the website <laughs> rowancobaby.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Rowan and Company. It's natural baby items from teethers, pacifiers, pacifier clips. There's clothing items. It's all natural. The idea behind it was I didn't want icky things in babies' mouths. Um, I know a lot of, like, the yeah. plastics and stuff, and um, a lot of the wooden teethers are dipped in like an acrylic type of gloss paint all of my stuff is untreated so that um, parents can just put like avocado oil or something on it if they want to add Mm -hmm. an essential oil when baby's teething they would be able to Um, but yes nothing icky is in the product so that it's safe for it to be put in your little one's mouth and then the clothes are super soft and stretchy and I need to make adult sizes because I need all of it. Yes. (laughs) Well, and they're super cute. I mean, my sister was the recipient of one of these things, right? And you are like soft and stretchy is no joke. But then the pictures and stuff on there, like, I don't know. The kids are like super cute on there and all the products look really cute. So I love it. Um, Thank you. Okay. And along with your amazing company that you have, um, Angie is providing the My Essential Birth listeners, everyone who's listening, not everyone, the opportunity, everyone that's listening, the opportunity um, to have one of her products. And so Angie, will you talk about what you're giving away? And for you listening, you won't be able to see it in this moment. So I'll either take a picture or I'll get the clip of this video that we're doing as well, but talk about what it is and what we're giving away. Yeah, so um, I'm going to give away one of my uh, tan knotted gowns. Um, So ties at the bottom, there are buttons. It's bamboo cotton, so it's super, super stretchy. Um, I like them and decided them for the shop because they're easy for nighttime diaper changes since it ties at the bottom. No snaps Mm -hmm. or buttons at the bottom. And then a little beanie for your baby as well. And it's also the bamboo cotton in the tan color as well. Super cute. Okay, so for you guys that are listening, if you would like to enter to be able to have one of these as the giveaway, I want you to go ahead and rate and review the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast um, with My Essential Birth. So you'll head to Apple Podcasts, you'll rate and review, and then you're going to send me an email at hello at myessentialbirth.com letting me know what your review said and what your review name is, the date that you gave it, and then we'll enter everybody in and when this is released, We'll probably like give it a week or so and then I'll announce the winner and I'll mail that package to you. And I'm going to have you guys go follow Angie. Uh, The Instagram for the Rowan and Company is at Rowan, R-O-W-A-N and A-N-D Company. The whole name, C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. So go give her a follow, like and review this podcast. Um, Send me an email at hello at my essential birth that you've done all of those things and then we'll get you entered for the giveaway. That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.